Coach Urban Meyer has landed in Los Angeles, as he does every weekend. Uh, there he is. I hope you're not sick there, Urban. Don't do that. That coughing doesn't sound good now. Don't be doing that. So, no, no, all healthy. <laughs> good. That's good to know. And uh, good to know everything is going well for you as you get ready to launch your football program, one that we'll be watching Big Noon Kickoff. More about that in just a moment. But I wanted to catch up to you. Uh, there's some things that uh, that we don't try to do the news report every week, but we do want to be apprised as to what's happening on. And this particularly deals with something you've been so strong about, preaching the gospel of hope and opportunity, which I know breaks your heart now. And so I just start off with this right now saying, what do you tell the kids and coaches and how can you convince them that they have hope and opportunity despite the fact that many of them are sitting home when part of the country is playing football? Well, Ohio State just had one of the best players declare for the uh, mm-hmm. NFL, Wyatt Davis. Uh, first round draft pick, was a right guard and a uh, tremendous player. We recruited him out of Los Angeles and just a wonderful guy. And, and I was talking to some people at Ohio State and and every year you deal with the, during the normal year, the incredible amount of people in the ears of these student athletes um, that have a chance to go play professional football. So I, and it, they're just getting inundated right now. And the uncertainty has created a lot of anxiety amongst the families. And so, you know, what do you tell them? You just have great confidence in the coaches and only can control what you can control. And I know that's hard for me to say because I've been one of those control freaks my entire life that you just want to have your hands on everything but you know hang in there and you know I just hope people don't just panic and make decisions they hopefully regret you think maybe the Big Ten regrets their decision now I do I think they uh, once again that's just my opinion and talking to some people within the organization a little bit and throughout the Big Ten but I just think time is really an ally right now and that means that you know every every day every week uh the numbers change science changes testing a huge part of this is the ability to test and get quick results without contract tracing everybody contact tracing everybody which is a big fear of most solid coaches that you could you know you can lose a position group or even part of your team uh to get quarantined so i think time's an ally uh, I always felt that way. I think I think the Big Ten kind of feels that way, but I don't know for sure. Yeah, I know it's uh, I know a lot of kids. I know you are very strong in the living room when you go in to recruit kids and you make promises to their kids and their parents that you're going to take care of that, that young man. And you, you try to do that, and I know you're all in invested on kids like that. Mm-hmm. And, and it, now it would be very hard if I were Ryan Day and James Franklin and others, and by the way, they have spoken out this week about their their, their unhappiness and their, their disdain for the decision and, and really more than anything else about not so much the decision, about not getting information, which is the big thing, not knowing. I think not knowing sometimes is the worst thing. So consequently, uh, gosh, in a way, you got to be glad you're not in the middle of this. Well, I saw Ryan Day's and James Franklin, uh, and I, you know, those guys – are doing what coaches are expected to do, swing as hard as you can for their, for their players. Uh, I was sharing with someone the other day, uh, like some people in corporate America, that no other profession is like this, where you you go recruit them when they're 17, 18 years old, you're in the, fa- in the homes, 
you hugged their families and said, we're going to take care of your, your son uh, or daughter if it's, you know, volleyball like my daughter's doing. And that parent expects you to take care of that kid. And, and nothing about coddling or nothing about taking easy on it, but when, you know, you fight as hard as you can for the player. And that's what Ryan Day's doing. And the biggest issue, I, I read it real closely, is that and I've talked to Ryan, is that Coach Day is that uh, he's getting asked questions he can't answer. Hmm. You're going to, you know, in a few days, you're going to see Duke play Notre Dame, two of the top universities in the world, not just America in the world. Um, and they feel it's safe enough to go play the game, yet someone else makes a decision that's not, too, that's not safe enough. So those are the questions that seem to be uh, void of answers right now. It's going to be really hard for an, for an 18, 19-year-old to, to try to put that together and figure it out. But, you know, here's the good part. We do have football. And for a while there, we weren't sure we were going to have football. And uh, it's watching on TV, as I'm sure you've done the last couple of days, uh, the Thursday night game, of course. And now this weekend we've got some interesting games. And then we don't kick off the big boys, as I say, the SEC and and the, and the big, what is the Big 12 kickoff, by the way? The same day, 26, or are they before that? Oh, no, it's, they're playing this weekend. Oh, they are playing uh, this weekend, okay. Uh, yeah, big noon. A couple a couple uh, games got postponed. We were supposed to do Baylor this week, and it got postponed mm. a week because Louisiana Tech had an outbreak. Uh, but the Big 12 starts this week, and SEC starts, I believe, the 26. And NACC starts then, too. And they get the added Lester and Notre Dame, so, which is pretty cool. Uh, so, so big noon, big noon kickoff uh, with Rob Stone, of course, and, and Reggie Bush and Matt Leinard and, and, and Clay Helton and Cadone Slobus and so on. You, of course, um, you got this thing going this weekend. It's, it's become quite an interesting show because you get a diverse opinion there. And it seems to be driven more by the, the host, or not, excuse me, the, 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 well, the co-host. The panel seems to drive the show as opposed to being produced by, you know, uh, one slick producer. Uh, talk about that show. I know when you went on, you weren't really sure what it was going to be. And I think you've come to your own. You've enjoyed it, you said. Uh, you, you're being very, very well received. Terry Bradshaw tells me Fox really loves you. Uh, and by the way, we'll hear from Bradshaw next week on the NFL. Uh, what's that like? And, and, and what will you do in your shows in the future? Well, Fox came to us last year, actually, when I was at the coach of my last game in the Rose Bowl, and they said, we'd like to have you join our team. And, and we discussed about what the show would be about. And, and, and they said, we celebrate this great game, those who play it, those who coach it. That's exactly what we do. You know, and um, they put us with a very relevant team of Reggie Bush, like you said, Matt Liner, Brady Quinn, and Rob Stone. And we became family. I mean, we're great friends now. We talk all the time. I'm on my way there, and I can't wait to see him. And and we try to take people places that really not many other people can take you. You know, they're all relevant people. That two Heisman Trophy winners, uh, all American quarterback at Notre Dame, and a, a coach has won a few games. And so, well, we take you into recruiting, we take you into the strategy, we take you into locker room, we take you to what uh, I really enjoy it. And our we've had uh, a lot of success. The numbers jumped all over the place last year, which is good. And, you know, the Big Ten is going to really hurt us then because we're kind of a Big Ten network, mm-hmm. uh, so to speak, with the Fox. So that's going to hurt us a little bit. But we're uh, we're going to move the two-hour shows instead of one-hour shows, which will give us a lot more time. Well, as a regular on this show, on the best Fridays in football, I would like 
you to explain what that term means. I meant to do it last week, and I forgot to get a chance because I love the name of the show, Best Fridays in Football. Uh, even if we don't do it on Fridays, I still love it. Uh, talk about what that was for you as a coach, how you named it, and what was it about? Well, I think it's great for both of us. Two good friends that know each other, you know, going on since 2005. I remember sitting there one of our first times we met, and I thought, this guy's different. And we remained very good friends. Uh, but best Fridays of football, I actually started that when I first became a head coach, and I learned it from Sonny Lubick, the head coach at Colorado State. And his whole idea of Friday was to get the players, you know, obviously you work the game, but really a lot of the work's done. The biggest, the most important thing on a Friday for a young person is relax a little bit and get sleep. So often coaches that I've made those mistakes in the past, you get them all riled up, you meet all day long, and kids, they can't, they can't calm down. And so we, uh, we teach them how to relax, lock in, relax, lock in, and a lot of the relaxation is, uh, you know, they could screw around on the field together, hang out, get the routine together. And then once we get to the hotel and the meetings, uh, the movie, there's no more meetings. It's all about the player, the coach relaxing. A lot of them play cards, dominoes, uh, but the players love it. And so do the coaches. So that's why we call it best rides in football. And I've been to a couple of them, and I'm talking about some good eats now. If you're a kid, yeah. you can get almost anything you want. Some people eat five Sundays and milkshakes and all kind of food and good food and steak or whatever you want. And it's just a bits of parties, what it is, uh, under control. And the kids seem to have a certain freedom of spirit about it, and they seem to really like it. So the ones I've seen, anyway. Yeah, I think it's great advice when you think about the most important thing on a Friday is the rest. Because uh, you've done uh, Tuesday's a really hard day, Wednesday's a hard day, Thursday you back off a little bit, Friday's critical. And uh, our players to this day, a bunch of the former players, we still, you know, Tebow's one of them. He'll send me a text, best fries of football. Hmm. And uh, we love them. He had a few. He has a pretty good Saturdays as well. So, for sure. Yeah. Now, I, don't know you, I know you don't get into the NFL much, but uh, two things. One is uh, the Tampa Bay Bucks are really the talk of the of the place around here in Tampa, and you live down there part of the year in, in uh, near Sarasota. Uh, so you'll be hearing about them, and I wanted to get your take on Tom Brady and what he's doing. Phenomenal thing there. And then I want to talk to you about the Browns. And, I, and I'm sorry, but I, one of our executive producers who lives in Connecticut is an inveterate Browns fan, okay? He's still mad about Ernest Biner's fumble. He's still mad about the drive. I mean, he's – so anyway, we'll get a word on the Browns just for Andy, one of our co-executive producers. Tell me about this thing. with People are talking like the, the Bucks could win it. Well, Tom Brady, a quarterback that's measured on championships once, so he is without question the greatest quarterback of all time. He's over 40 years old now. He's uh, You can see his skill set diminish a little bit, but he's uh, I have great admiration for him, and Tampa is alive, man. They they have good skill. Their coach, they have a very good coach. Everybody's thinking, you know, that Super Bowl is actually going to be in Tampa. So this is, uh, you know, Tom's only got a few more years left. And I think, you know, as much as I love the Patriots and Coach Belichick, I think this is going to be great great for all the fans to watch, see if, you know, who can do better without one another. You know, is it Bill Belichick? Think about this. Bill Belichick coaching Cam Newton and Tom Brady uh, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Who would have thought that four or five years ago? It's going to be fun to watch, that's for sure. Now the Brownies. 
you know them well you grew up in ohio you know you flirted with them from time to time they've come after you out here i'll let i'll save that for another day but what about the brownies what about how about cleveland what about their situation will they ever get that franchise turned around well i'm a huge browns fan too i grew up 35 miles from there and grew up going to the games and uh, when the Browns moved out, Art Mel Modell took him out of Cleveland uh, to Baltimore. You know, that's a football town. You know, the game of football, the Hall of Fame's an hour from there in Canton, Ohio. So this is a football mecca, people believe. And the Browns have been not very good. Matter of fact, they've been poor. And, you know, I, I know the owner. I know the, uh, the couple coaches they've had. They've been close, but they haven't gotten there yet. And it seems like they one step forward, two steps backwards. So... I really like their quarterback, Baker Mayfield. I think they've done a good job putting this team together. Now it's time to go win some games. That is past due on that last count. Well, let's talk about some of the coaches that I call them buttoned up that might be able to handle the pandemic issues that they're having with the testing. Coaches hate distractions. You know that. And this is the all-time major distraction. And – you know, you've got a situation now where things are changing right before your eyes. You don't know when you're going to play or what time, you know, if you're, what you're going to get for a roster. And, and even Dan Mullen was talking last week, he just wants some answers. Uh, they did get one this week, apparently, on Justin Shorter, the fine wide receiver from Penn State. Finally, finally, the NCAA was like, has granted his transfer. Uh, but what must it be like uh, to do that? And, you know, and you – you're pretty focused as a coach, too. You're hyper-focused. And talk about the coaches who deal better. Some coaches are better able to handle, shall we call them disruptions, and others. Adversity is part of football, the coaches always tell us. But this is beyond adversity. And there are going to be some situations this football season that are going to kind of be um, backpackers. And there are some coaches that can handle it better than others, I think one of them's right there in Gainesville and Dan Mullen and a few others I can think of. Certainly Nick Saban is one. Uh, I imagine Ryan Day can handle his share of it. Talk about those guys able to focus when there's such a, a ginormous elephant in the room. Yeah, I think, first of all, it starts with the experience of your team. You know, I, I think coaches who have created a great culture and leadership within their team are the ones that not only survive it, but they thrive in, in tough situations. The two guys you mentioned, Saban and, and, and Dan, you know, they've been at it for a while and they've, you know, they've experienced it. The one thing about Ryan Day, he has not, you know, he's only been there as a, a one year, but the culture and the leadership on that team is so strong. So you look at guys, you know, Dabo Sweeney, people that have been through the wars a little bit are the guys that, you know, that I imagine will come out of this thing even stronger. But you watch now. There'll be some programs that get wiped out because of it. And a lot of times, you know, it's the coach's responsibility. But, you know, if you have a strong leader or leadership within the team, that that's that's when the teams just not only get through it, but they get through it even stronger. And I know you've had the power of the unit and various things you've used to, and to keep people together as a team. And kids today are – obviously changing by the day or the hour. Let's focus for a second on the Florida Gators. I know you don't have as much time as you'd like to to follow them, but up close, and I'm saying up close from the standpoint as a media guy, I don't get to see Dan or talk to Dan, but we're all living by the Zoom press conference, 
And as I've watched this, I consider myself a little bit of a student of football. The nuances I'm seeing with Dan, his ability to handle what he's doing, to get his program where it ought to be, this team could be very, very good. The pieces are starting to come together, and, you know, not just the quarterback, but young receivers, the offensive lines playing better. Now, we don't get to see this, but through the conversation with the coaches, and we talked to a lot of them. I mean, uh, and Tim Brewster was on this week, and he was really blew us away with this positivity. It seems like, it feels like there's something going on with these Gators. Now, you said it, Steve Spurrier said it, we all say they got to beat Georgia. But Dan is positioned well in a year that it's hard to have a position. Yeah, I picked them to, uh, you know, win the SEC. I, I really did, and so much is going to change. I, I'm really studying the schedules, and we're going to spend time talking about that on Fox Big Noon Kickoff, about, you know, the SEC is uncharted waters, 10 games. You know, I can't imagine. I remember when we were there, I think we had eight league games, and that's what they have now. And I mean, that is top to bottom the best conference in America. You don't have a, you don't have those early games to get your your team warmed up. You don't have the opportunity to get your backups in there and get playing time. I mean, this is going to be a, a very strenuous time. And when you're talking about college football playoff, you know, if you lose one or two games, I, I think, by the way, the SEC, the, everyone's going to lose two games. I, I, don't, I don't see anyone making it through that gauntlet where they're going to just beat each other. They're going to beat each other up and lose some games. And how does that impact the impact in, in the college football playoff where you maybe have a lesser conference and really a much lesser conference now. Uh, normally, the ACC has been strong with Miami and Florida State and Virginia Tech, Louisville, and then, of course, uh, Clemson. But the teams, there's only... Yeah. Um, so it's a much, much different animal right now that uh, you're competing at the Southeastern Conference with a 10-game schedule. Yeah, we lost just for a second. I think we heard what you said. But I wanted to point this out. I agree with you 100%. You've experienced it as a coach. But I, this is not only a terrific schedule. This is the biggest, toughest, most powerful opponents in the history of college football, Urban. No one's ever played 10 games yeah. only as no one. Think about it. Who's ever played a schedule like that? No wonder they all might, the leaders might lose two, uh, two games because nobody walks in. Talk about how tough it is to get through that schedule. Because when you're fighting heavyweight champions every week, it has a residual impact on your team. Yeah, that, uh, I think the residual, what you said, or collateral damage that comes to playing that schedule. And I also uh, tell people that the Tuesday practice, you can always tell what kind of game you had. First of all, on Sunday, you walk in the training room, and you know when you play an easier opponent, there's not many people in there. When you play the sledgehammer games like the SEC, that training room is full of, filled with uh uh, athletes that are banged up from the uh, physical game. Great point. And the SEC is as physical as any. And so when you get in Sunday and you can just tell, and then you have to adjust your practice schedule, Tuesday's your work day. A lot of times when you play back-to-back-to-back big-time games, your Tuesday, you, uh, a lot of guys aren't even practicing, so you miss a huge game plan day. And that's, you know, the rigid, I love how you said that, the residual damage of playing uh, a tough schedule like this. That's why I'm going to watch that so closely this year. And everybody looks at, you know, the average, the, the fan will say, okay, that's a tough game, but it's so much more than that. It's getting ready for the next game after the tough game. 
And Dan experienced that a, a few years ago when he played Georgia and they had to go out of Missouri and got beat by Missouri because that's what can happen to you. Can I walk you through this schedule real fast of Florida? Uh, I've got in front of me because sure. we're all kind of figured out because it's a new schedule. You know, they didn't the one we had last spring. Uh, you know, you got an opening game at Ole Miss. By all estimations, Ole Miss is not going to be a contender, but we all know SEC teams are tough on the road. Then you got South Carolina at home. And the troublesome game for Dan, in my opinion, is going to College Station to play Texas A&M. That's one that could be difficult, although without the 12th man, without all those thousands and thousands of people there, and only whatever it is, 20,000, will that be different? Well, it'll be a lot different, but you're still, if it's a night game, you're still getting home late. Um, and it'll be different, but it's still much easier to play at home. Just you got your routine and not flying all over the place. But it'll be much easier than, you know, I've been to Texas A&M. That place is really hard. All the SEC places are really hard. Uh, but uh, what I always try to, there's three things we're going to look at uh, on the big noon kickoff. Number one is how many ranked teams you play. Number two, how many away or home. And the number three, the spacing of the games. And I noticed LSU has a really, really hard schedule. Uh, they're playing four top 20, really top 15 teams, but they're not spaced out well. And I would always look at that. You remember the days when I, when I was a coach at the Gators, that October was awful mm. sometimes. I mean, you had you went to Kentucky, then Tennessee, and then bang, 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 usually Auburn, Alabama, mm. LSU, Georgia. And we used to call it the gauntlet. And if yeah. you can make it through the gauntlet, and then, you, you know, it's, uh, sometimes you would get a Vanderbilt or a little easier game near the back half. You play an FCS school and then get ready for Florida State. But the gauntlet is what just wipes you out. Yeah. And then speaking of LSU, that's who comes next after Texas A&M. But it's at home. And uh, we don't know yet what Coach O has got, but he's got a lot of talent. And they're always going to be tough. And they've become a rival game now. Uh, because they, and then the following week, uh, they've got Missouri at home. And then they have an open date. So if they can get to that break... You know, they drop one. You know, if they drop, let's say they got beat in Texas, they're still in good shape after the open date because next comes what they used to call and some still call the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, Georgia and Jacksonville. A little bit different this year, not as many fans. And that starts the run uh, where the back half you talk about, you've got Georgia, then you get Arkansas at home, then at Vanderbilt, Kentucky, and of all things, they wound up playing Tennessee last. Tennessee game is at Knoxville. So what do you make of that? Well, I won't hold you to it, but it seems to me there's some winnable games in there, and obviously the, the Red Letter ones are going to be LSU, Texas A&M, and, and uh, Georgia. Uh, then, of course, at Tennessee, but I think by the time we get to Tennessee, uh, we'll find out how good this team is going to be, and I think Florida will be better. What's your assessment on the schedule? Uh, it's going to be all tempered by injury and help a team. You know, I th- is it a manageable schedule? Nah, not really. I mean, if you really look at it and say, can, can a, you know, a team like Florida, what's the expectation of? And I know Spurrier and I, Steve Spurrier and I have talked about this many times. Dan and I have talked about it. And he's enjoyed that two great years. But remember now, when Steve Spurrier was a coach, if he didn't win the SEC, it was a monumental failure. Mm. Uh, when we got there and got it going, when you didn't win the SEC, I remember the one year we couldn't. We had the Sugar Bowl and we couldn't sell tickets because it, it was such a failure. Um, you know, that's getting to that point now because Dan's done such a good job. He's loaded up with good players. You have to beat Georgia. You have to go to the SEC championship, and then you have to win it. So at some point, you know that the expectation level, which is rightfully so in Gainesville, is that you expect championships, and now that's what's coming next. 
Well, let, let's close out with that comment because I think it's very important about expectations. Coaches love them and coaches hate them. You want to be a place where you're expected to win championships. You want to win championships. But when you don't, as you said, these expectations become somewhat unrealistic. How does a coach deal with that? Because Dan has done a terrific job. Uh, and there's still people who are obviously not happy because he's not going to Atlanta every year, you know, like they used to. So what do you do to handle those expectations of fans? And you had it at Ohio State. You've had it pretty much any place you go, although you built the programs at Utah and Bowling Green and so on. What do you do as a coach when you come in? It's a double-edged sword, expectations. Well, you're not talking to the right guy probably about that, how to manage expectations because – you know, we, we, we wanted to be perfect, and perfect is obviously an unsustainable goal. You know, that, that doesn't happen. Uh, and we were, you know, a product of our own success. And, and Coach Spurrier and I, like I said, we've had many conversations about that. So how do you handle it? You, you know, you signed up for it. I used to always tell my staff, tell the players, tell even to myself, say, listen, I'm, no one held a gun to your head and said, you have to go to Florida, you have to go to Ohio State. We're, you're in it. You have to embrace it, and you, and it is what it is. You know, you just said Dan Mullins had two great years. Can you imagine if Steve Spurrier had those uh, years? They would have been trying to get rid of him. You know, and same thing. You know, you know, we, the world was coming to an end when when you lose a couple games. So you embrace it, you signed up for it, and you go attack it. And the only thing you can do is do the best you can. This final thought with Coach Urban Meyer and our weekly podcast here on the best Fridays in football, a term that Coach Meyer actually invented, is, you know, people say if there's a national championship, there really shouldn't be one, or if there is one, you should have an asterisk next to it. I don't know how you feel about it, but to me, if you win the national championship this year and you're playing the SEC schedule, that'll give you two trophies. Yeah, there, there's no doubt. The players, it's not their fault. You win that, that's wrong. There's no asterisk. Or you win the national championship if you play. Players have nothing to do with this. So, yeah, I, I get a little upset when I hear that. Say, well, there's an asterisk. No, that's, you You played, you trained, and you went through, put your body in harm's way, and, and competed in the toughest conference in America. You're the, if you win it, you're the national championship. If uh, Clemson, Notre Dame, or some surprise team comes out, maybe in Oklahoma, you're the national champion. Remove the asterisks, and that's the way it is. Coach Every Meyer, you can hear him every week on here on our show, the Best Fridays in Football, and watch him and hear him on the Big Noon Show on Saturdays on Fox. Urban, thank you very much. Enjoyed it. We'll talk again soon. Thanks, buddy.